I want to talk a little bit tonight about, about what it is to bear witness. I want to talk tonight a little bit about the power of the symbols and the stories that we tell at this time of the year. And in particular, the power of this Shabbat, this particular Shabbat, Shabbat of Hanukkah, and that tomorrow morning here in Shul we'll be blessing the new month of Tevet. And I'm always blown away by that every year. I'm blown away by that piece of Hanukkah. Of all the holidays that we have, Rosh Hashanah, Kippur, Sukkot, Shavuot, all of the different biblical holidays, Purim, along comes a little jar that could, you know? The holiday that is at the Shulayim, the end of, of the Second Temple period, the Second Temple period, the last of the holidays, the big holidays, Hanukkah, modeled after Sukkot. But unlike Sukkot, which is also an eight-day holiday that it is said to commemorate, it doesn't begin when the light of the moon is brightest. It doesn't begin like Rosh Hashanah when the light of the moon is beginning to dawn. It began this past week on the 25th day of the month of Kislev in the darkest time of the moon cycle, in the time of the year when the sun is also eclipsed. So it's dark out. And into the midst of that holiday, some five days in every year, a new moon is born. Isn't that great? Don't you love that? I love that. And one of the most amazing things about the new moon and the way that we commemorate the new moon in our tradition is that in a kind of presaging of Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, like the notion that the observer affects the observed. The observer affects the observed. The rabbis were less interested in when the actual new moon was born than in when it was seen. The rabbis claim that the first mitzvah given to the Jewish people, the unique mitzvah of Chodesh or Rosh Chodesh is HaChodesh Hazet Lachem. This new moon process is Lachem, is for you. If you see it, it will be new when you see it. No need to check your science books and see through your telescope or through your fancy calculations. For the rabbis, it wasn't relevant if it was true or not. What was relevant was that you witnessed it, that you saw it. As if to say the new moon is born when we co-arise with her, as it were. That the new moon's birth is dependent on our witnessing her. If a moon is born and no one sees it, is it really <laughs> born? Kind of Berkeley, or, or you know, it's kind of the tree in the forest. We participate in our cycle of time. We, our eyes. So in the middle of a holiday called Hanukkah, which is about the eyes seeing the light. In fact, our eyes that see the light can't make use of that light. We just witness the light. We're not allowed to actually make use of it. We just see it in the middle of this beautiful holiday where light is not 
used for some particular purpose, but light itself has intrinsic meaning because it's light. We have this new moon. The new moon is born, which reminds us that we are participating in creation. We co-create. Our eyes aren't just observers. They are co-creators. That the way that we witness things enlivens them, makes them stand out. The way that we hold space, the way that we show up, the way that we are present, the way that we stand in as witnesses, our quality of experience has an impact in a universe that is alive with us. I'm so moved by the Joseph story that we'll be reading tomorrow morning. Because the Joseph story is a story of someone who told his dreams to his brothers and whose brothers, when they heard the dream, hated him for his dreams. They hated him for his dreams. And here, Joseph is this prince in the arc of his life. He dreams a dream. He tells it to his brothers. And his brothers throw him into a pit. And he descends. And then he's raised up again. And he's trusted by, by his boss. And then his, his boss's wife, Potiphera, Eshet Potiphar, tries to seduce him. And then he's thrown again into a dungeon. And then amazingly, this character who is a dreamer becomes, it's dreamer becomes what? An interpreter of dreams. The one who told his dreams to his brothers now doesn't tell dreams any longer, but rather, what's his profession, Rabbi David? He interprets other people's dreams. He had a desire to dream. He had a big vision. But it was met in a certain way. And it was submerged. Joseph goes into the dark place. And Joseph now, instead of looking to be seen, becomes the one who sees. Instead of asking to be heard, he becomes the one who hears. Alice Miller wrote a book that became a classic called The Drama of the Gifted Child. People have read The Drama of the Gifted Child. Yeah. The younger generation, pick it up, guys. <laughs> what a classic. She talks about the gifted child in each and every one of us that had a need. And when that need wasn't met, that need wasn't seen, we hold on to that need, but we, we flip it around. The therapist who sits all day listening to the, to the individual was once someone who himself or herself wanted to be heard on some level and now is getting that need met, being seen as the one who sees, being valued as the one who values. And in it, she argued against her own trade, her owning her own peace. She said, until that gifted child is raised up and seen until that need is extracted and made visible, until that need is articulated and met, it will remain submerged. Joseph, Joseph, who desperately wants to be seen, 
who desperately wants to hear his dream becomes the one who recognizes the dreams of others. I think about that. I think about that Joseph was hiding. And the irony, of course, of the Joseph story is that in this week's reading, his brothers will finally come to see him, but they won't recognize him. His dream will have been fulfilled, but without the, maybe the joy of them knowing that it was fulfilled. He gets to be seen, but not as Joseph. He gets to have his dream come true, but not as the one he is, but as the one he became in the story that unfolded. And he tried to forget. He arrives in Egypt and he says, I'm going to name my child Minashe. My father's house and the sufferings. I'm going to name my child forgetting. The name Minashe means to forget. What's the irony there, everybody? As long as he names his child forgetting for the thing that he wants to forget, he will never forget. Every time he calls him, Menashe remembers, oh, there's forgetting, he's coming along. <laughs> the thing that we want to run from in the Joseph story comes back to face us. Joseph's dream doesn't go away. What happens to a dream deferred, it comes back. Or as my friend um, quoted me, a line from Bruce Springsteen, what happens to a, a dream it doesn't come true. Is it a lie? Or is it something worse? Jo jo Joseph's dream is going to come true. But not in the way that he wanted. He wanted to be seen. He wanted to be witnessed. He wanted to be held. There's a beautiful midrash that says that when Joseph was in the moment of deepest temptation, when everything in the world was pulling him to sleep with his boss's wife, that he had an image of his father Jacob in a window. He had an image of his father Jacob in the window. What an amazing midrash. Why a window? What's a window doing in the Joseph story? And why his father? Doesn't he want to run away from his father? doesn't want to run away from all of that. He must have given up on them a long time before. Because Joseph, in the moment of deepest darkness and deepest confusion, Joseph remembered there was somebody once who saw me. There was somebody once whom I told my dreams to, and he didn't hate me for them. There was somebody in my life, somebody in my past, who appears to me in the chalon, in that place between the private and the public, the window is that transparency between my inner safe world and outside. And Jacob is in the window as if to say, with me, I was both on the inside in your safe container in your home. I was the one who loved you, who gave you that coat, who saw greatness in you. And I'm in the window. I'm in the safe space now guarding the public domain where you've met such resistance to your grandeur, to your gifts. Jacob in the window reminded Joseph that he could borrow from the past in order to pay in the present. Joseph was once heard and seen by Jacob. 
And in that moment when he was being seen as an object for gratification from his culture, from his surroundings, from his work, when he was being confused for someone other than who he was, he said, let me draw from someone who saw me, someone who knew me, somebody who touched me, somebody who gave me a coat of leadership and held me up. Shlomo Kalbach once said, in the name of the Klausenberger Rebbe, he said, that in the evenings of our life, in the evenings of our life, we call on those in the evenings of our life who had faith in us. And Jacob had faith in Joseph. Joseph had that in the bank. I think parenthetically, by the way, that's why he understands Pharaoh's dreams. Because in Pharaoh's dreams, the seven years of plenty will be swallowed up by the seven years of famine. People remember these dreams? And it will be forgotten that it was ever good. It's as perfect a description of depression that has ever been penned. In deep depression, we forget. We can't borrow on the good times. We can't remember. Ask yourself if you've ever been depressed or anyone you know. When you're in the depression, you can't even find the image of the father in the window or the image of the lover in the window or the image of anyone in the window. You can't, you have nothing in the bank. It's as if it's completely never been. You are there. You are in it. You are in Egypt. You are in the house of Potiphar's wife. And in the years of good, you can't even imagine what it would be like to be sad or depressed. It's great. Life is great. Joseph borrows from when he was once held and seen and known. Once Lubavitcher Rebbe said that on Pesach we have four children. One is the Chacham, the wise one. One is the Rasha, the, Rasha, the not so wise one. Then there's the Tam, the simple one. And then there's the one that She'eno Yodeh ol. The one who, does anybody, what's She'eno Yodeh ol? Anybody? Who doesn't know how to? She'eno yodea lish'ol, to ask, lish'ol, right? Eli, lish'ol is ma, to ask. Or it can mean to? To borrow. So said Lubavitcher Rebbe, on a simple level, it's talking about people who don't, have the, who don't feel they have the courage, they don't feel they have the, the right to disturb the universe, to ask a question. But Lubavitcher Rebbe said, no, it could also mean lish'ol means to borrow. Someone who doesn't know how to borrow from the future or from the past. They haven't put away a memory of having been loved. Someone who doesn't know how to borrow. Someone who doesn't know what to draw from in those moments when things are bleak and dark. And along comes Hanukkah and says, on the 25th day of the month of Kislev, ain't no moon outside. 26, ain't no moon. 27, ain't no moon. 28, no moon. What are we lighting with the last four days and tomorrow? We got to borrow. We got to borrow from that time when we were witnessed like the moon is witnessed and we were born through those eyes, through those ears, through that presence. Someone who looked at us and said, hey, I see you. Hey, I hear you. I know you. You have a dream. You're living your dream. 
Or let me remind you of your dream, the dream that you forgot. We become the thing opposite us when we hold on. People who are angry at friends who weren't friendly become not friendly themselves. People who are angry at community for not being community become non-communal themselves. People who are angry at the world for being angry become angry themselves. People who, who themselves have forgotten what it was to have dreams or to know their dream, they stop dreaming. Joseph stopped dreaming. He became a dream interpreter. And he called his son forgetfulness. Is that a way to see a child? So along comes Hanukkah, tonight, tomorrow. And it says, These candles, these lights, are for your witnessing, for your looking. Hanukkah means to rest in 25. There are 25 letters in the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echan. To rest in witnessing, to rest in Eidut, to see, to look, to be with. I tell you, sometimes my children run over to me and I'm so vertracht, I'm so crazy with my life. And they're tugging at me and they're pretty soon after they start tugging at me, they start throwing things and <laughs> breaking things. And you know what they really want? They want me to look at them. They want me to see them. They want me to hear them. They want to, they're saying, they're saying, look at me, look at me. Don't give me a present. Give me your presence. Don't give me something. Give me everything. Give me you. I want you. No. So what can we do on a week when, when people feel so confused about the world that they think killing children is some way to make the world more holy for Allah? What can we do in a week where vision is so distorted and presence is so lacking and darkness is so thick just registering for myself today with Rabbi Jessica, we were talking about how when, when the four rabbis and then the fifth policeman was killed in Israel in the Beit Knesset, how completely overwhelmed I was. And comparing that in some way to the, you know, how I could go on with my day hearing that a hundred children were killed. I'm not blaming myself. I mean, it's kind of in some way natural but even that's part of the distortion, the distortion of, of presence. And so I was sitting with my friend Rabbi Ohrez Rahi this week, and we were talking about how for the last 14 years he had been going to Auschwitz with Roshi Bernie Glassman to sit in Auschwitz. And I said to him, you know, what do you do when you're sitting there? He said, I let it all in. 
I let in the whole thing. 14 years sitting in Auschwitz. Presence. It's called a witnessing retreat. Bearing witness. A dut. Seeing. Those eyes. Everything is lifted up through these two witnesses, these two eyes, and this heart. So I want to bless all of you. Every know, you know, Hanukkah is, quote-unquote, a happy time, but as Rabbi Jessica's poem said, there's also a lot of grief in the winter. There's a lot that comes up. And certainly Joseph, at this point in the story, in the Torah, is not happy. He's got two children. He's got every imaginable material gift that you could give him, but he still is seeking his brothers. I'm also seeking my brothers and my sisters. I'm seeking to be able to be that window that someone else might look in and borrow from. That's what I want. I want that. I want to be able to say that in this world, standing in the precipice between the inner safe place and the outer sometimes dangerous place, that I will light a candle and I will stand there and I will say, here, borrow on me because I'm going to see you. I'm going to see you. I'm going to listen to you. You can rest here. That's what it is, everyone. The British of the Rebbe was... Um, it's late, I talk too much, but... Usually when I have nothing to say, I say too much. <laughs> the British of Rebbe was... Um, some of my students know this story that he... He was known to be a miracle worker, and people would come from near and far to come to the Rebbe for blessings. And there was a couple who had been trying to have a child for years, and nothing worked. And someone said, you better go to Berdichev and get an audience with the Berdichever. And so they came, they traveled, it wasn't easy. They got there, there was a long line as usual. They waited on the line, and then the door closed, and they came back the next day, and they begged to see the Rebbe, and they came in. And they told the Rebbe the story. They gave the Rebbe the different names of all the people involved. The Rebbe closed his eyes and he prayed. And when he opened his eyes, he said to him, I'm sorry, I can't do anything. And they cried to the Rebbe. said, Rebbe, we've come from so far. Can you please, there must be some way. There must be a gate that's open. The Talmud says all of the gates can be closed, but the gate of tears were crying. Is there a gate that's open? He closed his eyes again. He went into a holy place. And he came back. He said, I tried everything. There's nothing open. There's no way for me to do anything. I can't change it. They were so broken. They traveled so far. And they turned to leave. And they walked towards their wagon, and they got onto the wagon, and they started to make their way out of the town. And then they heard someone screaming, Wait! Wait! And they saw the Rebbe. And they stopped, they said, Rebbe, did you find something? And he looked at them and he started to cry. He said, you know, I didn't find an opening. But the least I should have done is to sit with you and to listen. The least I could have done was to sit with you and to listen. And so he, he climbed up to the carriage and sat there with them and they cried. 
he shmad, he heard. And as the story goes, a year later, a child was born, and his name was Levi Yitzchak, right? named after the Berdichever. You have no idea how much can happen when you sit. When you sit and are willing to be a window for someone. God should bless you and bless me. She should give us the strength during the dark times, like Mary Oliver said, during these winters, to be windows, to be chalonot, and to be able to remind people of the dream of who they were meant to be. Amen.